God say about joy? So to get to what joy is, I want to start with what joy isn't or what joy is not. So let's have a look at what joy is not. Joy is not a feeling. Or should I say joy is not just a feeling? Because you can experience feelings of joy. But joy in itself is not a feeling in its entirety. Entirety. Otherwise, my joy would be controlled by my emotions, yeah? How I'm feeling day to day. So joy is not just a feeling. Joy is not a choice. You can't have you ever tried in your own self just to choose to be happy, to choose to be joyful. But you can't do it, yeah? <laughs> no matter what that cute little um, quote on Pinterest or Facebook or Instagram says, just choose joy. Well, actually, that's impossible. In and of myself, I can't choose joy. Joy is not found in things or status. Otherwise, some of our most wealthiest or celebrities would be the most happy or joyous, yeah? Do you see that? <laughs> no, I see celebrities and those who kind of reach the pinnacle of what they think success is. They have broken families. They can't commit to relationships. They're, they're um, struggling with depression and anxiety and addicted to, to different things. And so joy is not found in things or status. Joy is not pleasure. Sometimes we can um, mix up joy and pleasure. We think that joy is pleasure and pleasure is joy. But actually, pleasure is short-term and short-lived emotion, usually giving instant gratification. It's not sustainable long-term pleasure. And the last thing is joy is not the absence of pain. It's not the absence of pain. In fact, I've actually found joy in conjunction with peace being an anchor through times of pain in my life personally. In the book, The Breadcrumbs, author C.J. Jackson defines joy as a profound, compelling quality of life that transcends the events and disasters which may arise at times. Joy is a gift, a divine dimension of living that's not shackled by circumstances. It's a good explanation of what joy is. It transcends the events and disasters which might, which might arise. It's not shackled by circumstances. I mean, you just have to read Philippians and read the stories and the letters that Paul wrote to the early church to see that. I mean, he is literally writing these letters after being severely flogged, beaten, thrown into prison. He lost everything for the sake of the gospel. And sitting in that prison cell, in chains, he pens, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice because he knew what inner joy is. And nothing that anyone did to him or took off of him could change that. Because there was nothing that they gave to him. It comes from our Lord Jesus. That joy cannot be taken away from you no matter what the circumstances when you know him. Hebrews 12 verses 1 to 3 says, And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. See, some of us are growing weary and losing heart because we're not considering what Jesus endured with joy. Or you can change that to with purpose. And what was his joy? What was his purpose? Why did he endure what he did? For you and me, we were that joy. We were that purpose. And so can I say to you that purpose, that pain with purpose 
is very different to pain without purpose. You know, any mother that's been through childbirth will tell you that. You know, with Zara, when she came into the world, um, pretty soon in to the labour, I had an epidural. And so, you know, the birthing came and I was on the phone chatting to my mum and <laughs> the, the doctor was saying, okay, you can push now. Okay, mum, I think I better go. <laughs> And so it was, a, I mean, it was a great experience for the end there because I felt no, um, no pain in that moment. And then I had my beautiful girl with me. But Savannah, on the other hand, came into the world very quickly, like a whirlwind. I had no time to have what, no pain management whatsoever. And so I felt every single pain and um, coming through that Savannah bringing her into the world, she was um, definitely... I felt every moment of it. And so, but what got me through that pain was the purpose behind it, yeah? I knew that through that pain, I was going to hold my beautiful baby girl for the first time. She was going to look into my eyes. I was going to say, we did it together. I'm your mum. We did it. And so that purpose for me, through that time of excruciating pain, got me through it. Same with Jesus, hanging on that cross for us. It was the purpose behind. He knew what was at stake. It was you and I that was on his mind. For the joy set before him, he endured the pain. <laughs> and so let me ask you, what is it that you're setting before yourself? If you feel that you're going through a season of, of circumstances of pain or trouble, what are you setting before your eyes? What are you setting before yourself? James 1 verses 2 to 4 says, Consider it nothing but joy, my brothers and sisters, Whenever you fall into various trials, be assured that the testing of your faith through experience produces endurance, leading to spiritual maturity and inner peace. And let endurance have its perfect result and do a thorough work so that you may be perfect and completely developed in your faith, lacking in nothing. Consider it joy, pure joy when you go through trouble, he's saying, my brothers and sisters. You know, sometimes I would read this scripture and my head and my heart would have a bit of an argument. <laughs> I'm like, God, I don't know. When I'm going through trials, I don't really consider it pure joy. <laughs> I don't know about you. But when I'm going through tough times, when I'm going through trouble, I don't really think, gosh, this is a joyful time. I'm considering this joy. But if we dig a little deeper in what the scripture is saying here, you know, when life is all sunshine and roses, it doesn't actually grow us in maturity the same way that a trial does. True? And so that's what it's saying here. Be assured that testing of your faith through experience produces endurance, leading to spiritual maturity and inner peace. And let that endurance have its perfect result and do a thorough work so that you may be perfect, completely developed in your faith, lacking in nothing. So this is the journey. Sometimes when we come to trials, when we come to situations that are tough, it tests what you believe. It produces endurance. It has made me push deeper into God and not just rely on who God is to my parents, who God is to my husband, but who's God to me in those moments of pain, in those moments of trial. And who am I in God? Who am I in Christ? It's made me question my motives. What's actually really important to me? None of that happens when we're just cruising through life. Unhindered. You know, sometimes I just want to wrap my girls in bubble wrap. Protect them from everything. I don't want them to have any horrible experiences. I just want them to go through life having lovely experiences and enjoying great friendships and love. But, 
you know, it's impossible to actually bubble wrap them and to, to protect them from everything. And even if I could, it actually would be doing them a disservice, right? Because they're not going to experience what it's like to grow through things. They're not going to mature spiritually. They're not going to mature developmentally. And so if I just try to protect them all the time from any hurts or any pains or any discomfort, they're actually not going to walk through life and experience what it's like to have disappointments. And how do I deal with that disappointment? What do I do with it? And so it's the same with God. If he was always trying to protect us and cover us and keep us from experiencing anything um, nasty or horrible in this life or any trial or, or, or tribulation, then we might be, in a sense, in that space happy, but we're not fulfilled, we're not growing, we're not maturing. We don't know what it's like to walk through a situation where you've just lost a loved one and still know the peace of God and still know the joy of God. You don't know what it's like when a relationship melts down and you know you come to God, pour out your heart and just say, Lord, what do I do with these emotions? What do I do? And walking through that and then God increases in your faith. He makes you stronger. You come to different tribulations and trials. Then the next time it's like you deal with it a little better and a little better again because it grows upon precept upon precept, strength upon strength. I love what Dolly Parton says. The way I see it, if you want the rainbow, you've got to put up with the rain. <laughs> Isn't that good? She's actually quite an incredible woman. We watched a documentary on her life on Netflix. And um, she grew up in a poor family. Of, it was like a massive family, all girls. And she had a strict father. But she had a dream in her heart. And she thought, it's great if you have Netflix. Um, it's on um, Reese Witherspoon's new um, program series, yeah. And um, yeah, she, anyway, I love I loved watching it, and I just had to put that quote in. <laughs> if you want the rainbow, you have to put up with the rain sometimes. So for the joy set before him, he was able to endure the cross. What is it maybe that you're walking through that you need God's joy to strengthen you for? It's our superpower. Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 10, the joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And we don't experience that any more than, than those times of trial and those times of testing, knowing that the joy of the Lord is your strength. You know, the great thing about joy, too, is it doesn't have to do with personality. So if you're not naturally a really happy, bubbly person, you can still have joy. You know, I would say that I'm probably a bit more easygoing, laid back. I would say that I'm really bubbly, um, especially in a home setting. Um, yeah, I'm warm. <laughs> I've learned how to be. I've learned how to be. But, um, you know, in a home setting, Brad is the fun, joyous one. He's the one that comes down and, you know, is the one who puts on the characters and chases the girls around the house. And I'm kind of more the task-focused one. I, I kind of, I, I get into those modes every now and then, but usually I'm the one that gets things done and Brad's the one who makes them laugh. <laughs> so it's good to have the balance. But even though that's the case, it doesn't discount me from having joy. Or even for you, you know, if you're not naturally like that, it doesn't matter. Personality does not discount you from having true joy. That's the incredible thing about joy is that it doesn't matter what your personality type is because when you receive the Holy Spirit, you receive His fruit. And what's the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So when we receive the Spirit, it's a gift. No matter what your personality type, you've got the gift of joy from the Holy Spirit. But who knows that fruit doesn't just pop up overnight? It'd be great if it did, yeah? 
if one night he went to bed and he said, Lord, just let that food of joy just grow up in me. And then the next day it's like, you're just the most joyful person ever. <laughs> but it's cultivated over time. Just like normal fruit. It doesn't just pop up out of the ground. It's cultivated over time. You've got to look after it. You've got to plant the seed. You've got to water it. You've got to make sure the soil's right. You know, I don't know a lot of, I've said this before, I don't know a lot about gardening, but yeah, I know that it doesn't pop up overnight. <laughs> so here are a few ways that you can cultivate joy in your life, or you can kill joy in your life. So let's start with the killers, the joy killers. The first one is unsatisfied expectations. Unsatisfied expectations is a joy kill. Have you ever been to a movie that, that someone has really talked up to you? I said, man, that is the greatest movie ever. You're going to love it. You have to go see it. And then you go and see it. And you're bitterly disappointed because they've built it up so much to you. However, if you'd actually just walked in and you hadn't had any expectation at all, you would have walked out going, that was a pretty good movie. But because of you, that you had this expectation it was going to be the greatest thing you've ever seen, all of a sudden, your actual experience is down here. That's the power of expectation. You know, expectations are huge when it comes to our relationships. If you go into a relationship expecting the other person to fulfill every one of your needs, you're going to be let down time and time and time again. No matter if it's a friendship, if it's boyfriend, girlfriend, if it's husband and wife, if you're expecting that person to fulfill all of your needs, you're going to be disappointed. Because if you do try to do that, to fill each other's needs, then we actually become so reliant on one another. Then we try, then we kind of become possessive and then needy and then the relationship gets quite unhealthy because we were made to receive what we need to receive from our Father. And when we come into that place with Him, that secret place with Him, where He fills us with His joy, with His life, with His abundance, with His peace, when we connect with our Father's heart, and he, um, he tells us how incredible we are and he loves on us and he encourages us. And we read in the Bible, you know, different revelations the Holy Spirit pulls out to us. Then actually that tank is pretty full within us. And so then it's not my empty cup trying to draw from your empty cup and your empty cup trying to draw from my empty cup. But it's actually drawing from that well that never runs dry, the river of living, living water. That you can never, you can just keep on drinking and drinking and drinking from the Lord and it will never run dry. So then when you do come to your relationships, then it's just the icing on the top, yeah? Do you ever feel like sometimes you're just going through some joyless routines in life? I have before. Maybe you're discontent with the way your life's progressing. It could be that your expectations for your marriage haven't been met. Maybe your kids aren't living like they should. Perhaps you don't have everything you want. A bigger house, a nicer car, a better job. Here's the truth. A spirit of discontentment will rob your joy. Listen to how Paul describes the secret of being content with what God had given him. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 12. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I find it interesting that Paul calls contentment a secret, something to be discovered, a mystery. He had to learn. He said, I had to learn how to live with unmet expectations. 
You know, I find this especially relevant in our world right now, where you can pick up a device and instantly have hundreds of reasons to be discontent with your life because of the 1% of someone else's life that you see on social media, which, of course, is their, you know, their best moments, right? And comparison will kill your joy like nothing else. You know, you might be wishing you had someone else's life or money or influence, but do you actually know what it's like to walk in their shoes? Do you know what struggles they go through? Or do you just see what's posted online and what's portrayed in their life? You know, I sometimes looked at someone's post and actually known the true behind-the-scenes story, and it's been worlds apart. Because the truth is, we're all going through something. We may not be going through the same thing, but we're all going through something. And if you look online and you think, oh, if I just had her life, or if I just had her job or his job, that's going to kill your joy because you might actually be going through something right now that God's preparing you for. But if you're continually looking here, here, this person, that person, what are they doing? What's he doing? You're missing the joy in the moment, the beauty in the present. Discontent and comparison are great joy killers. So cultivate joy. We have to learn the secret of enjoying and appreciating where we are now. Not saying you can't have goals or dreams, because that's important too. You know, God teaches us on that as well. But if you're always looking to where you want to be or to where other people are, you miss the contentment of what's happening right now. You miss the beauty of what's happening right now. If I was always thinking, oh, I just can't wait till my girls are in school and that I have my own free time, I just can't wait for that. I can't wait, can't wait, can't wait. And then I get to that time and then I've missed the beauty of these young years. You know, having their handprints all over the glass in the living room, <laughs> picking up the toys and the joy of bubbles and, you know, just loving to, to, to experience life and to see new things. And, and as they start to talk and to hear new sounds, it's like, if I'm always looking ahead, I miss that joy right now. It's about learning the secret of being content. The second killer to our joy is unresolved conflict. Our joy evaporates when we allow conflict between ourselves and another person to go on. You know, when someone offends us, it occupies our mental and our emotional attention and we have little left over for God or others. Anger clouds up our heart and obscures our view of God, draining away our joy. <clears throat> Can I be honest with you? <clears throat> Yeah. <laughs> so this week, when I'm putting together my message on joy, I hope it's okay for you for me to share. I probably should have asked you before. Um, Brad and I had a, a disagreement, a pretty big argument about something. And I'm sitting in the office, and it's like 10 o'clock at night, and I'm trying to do research, and I'm just, you know, trying to hear from the Lord about this sermon on joy that I'm giving on Sunday. And all I can think about is what I should have said or, or how he's wrong and how I'm right. And this anger is clouding my vision. <laughs> well, I'm trying to learn about joy. <laughs> and so I had to come to my husband. Actually, I was a bit mad with him, so I just texted him. <laughs> I might actually talk to your face right now, but I'll send you a text. <laughs> yes, it is. It was. 
And so I had to come to a place of reconciliation first uh, before I was able to put together my message for today. And so it's true, conflict is a killer of our joy, and it totally obscures our thoughts, our minds, our hearts. It takes over. In Hebrews 12, verses 14 to 15, challenges us not to allow relational ruptures to fester because bitterness can set in. We read it here. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and to defile many. It makes Philippians chapter 2 verse 2 says, Then my joy is complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one spirit and one purpose. It's about unity. Joy comes when there's unity. And that's why we're, we're talking about the three values, unity, joy, and generosity. Because when you have unity, you have joy. True? So when Brad and I are unified, there's more joy in our home than when we're disunified, when we're at, in discord. And so this is what um, in, in Philippians, Apostle Paul saying, then my joy, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one spirit and one purpose. Do you know what makes my joy complete? When I see our church family unified, looking out for one another, supporting and loving one another. You know, I love how just recently our church family um, rallied around Sarah and Adam and James and Erica when they were moving home. And just helped, you know, and I know that the Saturday that James and Eric were moving, man, that was a hot day, yeah? It was like the heat of summer, but you guys were there and you were able to help and to be of assistance and just to support and rally. And I know that there's a lot done that I don't see as well, but that's what makes me joy. But I love it when we come together as a family and we support and we love and we help each other out. So the third joy kill is guilt. And this is our last, last one, our joy, our joy kills, before we go on to something a little bit more <clears throat> positive. <laughs> this takes a Guilt. Now, this third joy killer is perhaps responsible for chasing more joy out of our lives than any other. When we under that spirit of guilt, it can kill your joy like nothing else that I know. You know David understood this really well in Scripture when he attempted to ignore the promptings of the Spirit. If we take a look at Psalm 32, verses 1 to 5, Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and you didn't cover up my iniquity. I said, I'll confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. I love how this psalm ends. So down in verse 11, a little further, David says, Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. And so once he takes that um, transgression, that sin that he'd been, he'd been trying to cover up and ignore from, from God. He brings it to the Lord and he releases it. And then his joy returns later in the verse. And so it's true. And the funny thing with us is that we try to hide things from God, but God is all-knowing. <laughs> it's like Adam and Eve in the garden, yeah? It's like, Eve, Adam, where are you? And here they are, behind the bushes, hiding. It's like, 
so stupid. Of course God knows everything about our lives, everything about every thought that we have and who we are. And so we can't hide anything from him. So why try? <laughs> Don't let a, a spirit of guilt and condemnation and shame keep you separated from God because it will eat away at your joy from the inside out. You know, um, David was one that God said of him that he was a man after God's own heart. He was a man after God's own heart. Yet if we look at his life, in spite of that, we see David slips pretty far into sin at one stage of his life, right? He was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And it said in Scripture, in a time where kings went to war, David stayed behind. So he should have actually been with his men at war, but he chose to stay in the palace. And then he gets a glimpse of this other man's wife and he starts to... Um, lust after her and then he eventually sleeps with her and then he feels like oh my gosh what am I going to do and so then he kills this woman's husband in battle while he's at war fighting for his king he kills this woman's husband so that he can have her to himself and he can try and hide his his sin and so that's a pretty full on fall from grace would you say David knew the weight of sin he knew the weight probably more of what it's like to be disconnected from God. Because he was the one that said, he's pent all these psalms to the Lord saying, oh, lover of my soul. You know, he just, he's in love with Jesus, with Christ. And then this sin puts a wedge between him and God. And so that's why he's saying, my guilt was sacked in the, like as in the heat of summer. My strength was taken from me. You know, my, um, what does he say? Sorry, I'll come back to the scripture. Day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sucked as in the heat of summer. My bones wasted it away. He's such a psalmist, isn't he? <laughs> such a my bones wasted away. My strength was sucked as in the heat of summer. But it's true. That's what guilt does to us. That's what shame does for us. That's what unrepented sin does to us. It separates us from the love of God. It separates us from the joy of God. And so it saps our joy from us. It's like kryptonite. You know, Superman and kryptonite, <laughs> it's like that. It eats you from the inside out and it takes away your strength. And so there is some good news. Lost joy can be restored because David boldly prays in Psalm 51, 12, Restore to me the joy of my salvation. And God honors his prayer, just like he will honor your prayer. And so let's have a look at some joy cultivators. What are a couple of things that we can use to cultivate joy in our life? The first one is knowing that God is joyful. Do you know that? How God is joyful. We can be so greatly helped in our journey towards joy if we learn to see the Almighty, not as a taskmaster, not as a judge, not as someone who's waiting for us to slip up. But actually, He is joyful. He's, got, he's the God of the universe with a smile on His face. There's Zephaniah 3, chapter 3, verse 17. This is how God feels about you. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He'll quiet you with his love. He'll rejoice over you with singing. God delights in you. He breaks into song when he thinks about you. Isn't that hard to believe? <laughs> it's true. The word of God is true. I love how the Living Bible paraphrases that. He says, is that a joyous choir I hear? No, it's the Lord himself exulting over you in happy song. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that a joyous choir? No, it's God, exalting over you in joyous song. Come on, that's who our God is. He delights in you. He breaks into song when he thinks about you. 
In um, Psalm 104, verse 31, it says, May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. Isaiah 65, 18 to 19, Be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. When we see God as joyful, we're even more drawn to him, aren't we? He's not an aloof judge just waiting for us to mess up so he can unleash his fury on us. But no, he's created us to be his delight. You know, when Zara slips up, when Savannah slips up, it's not like I don't still delight in them. Of course I do, as their mum. I love them. It's actually really hard to discipline them sometimes because I love them so much. And it's the same with God. Even if we mess up, even if we fail sometimes, man, he delights in us. And we can come to him because he is always willing to receive us again and again and again with grace, with mercy. God finds joy in you. Can you say that? God finds joy in me. God finds joy in you. The second joy cultivator is connecting with your church family. Connect with your church family. I said this before and I'll say it again. We were made for connection with God and connection with people. That's how we were created. You know, a recent article from the ABC reported that one in four Australians reported feeling lonely every week. Every single week. That's 25% of us feel lonely every week. It went on to say that the issue is so pervasive and its effects are so damaging that experts warn of a loneliness epidemic that could be our next public health crisis. Dr. Michelle Lim from the Swinburne University of Technology and the scientific chair of the Australian Coalition to End Loneliness says, many of us, including young people who appear popular and connected, lack strong, meaningful relationships to enrich our lives and to protect our physical and mental health and well-being. And age is a key factor. Dr. Lim says international research suggests loneliness tends to be higher in young people aged 16 to 25. Young Australians also reported a high level of loneliness, more depression symptoms, and more social interaction anxiety, the Australian Lonely Survey, Australian Lonely Survey found out. Young people depict typically being surrounded by schoolmates and acquaintances don't always connect with others in the way that they might appear to on their social media accounts, Mr. Woodward says. In that age group, you have emerging mental illness as well with high rates of anxiety and depression. Loneliness kills joy. We have to be connected. It's so important, and especially for that age group. What we're teaching our young people, what we're teaching our kids, don't be lonely, don't disconnect from society. It's important to stay connected, and especially in our church family. It's important to stay connected, and it, and it shakes off that feeling of depression and loneliness. You know, they have a, a label for everything these days, don't they? And so when I read that report, I read um, that people having symptoms, more social interaction anxiety. It's like they've labelled this thing called social interaction anxiety. And I'm pretty sure I had that growing up, but it wasn't labelled social interaction anxiety. <laughs> and, um, you know, but I would go into situations sometimes and feel so uncomfortable and feel like, oh, I've got to make conversation and 
what do I say so that I'm, you know, um, I come across that I know what I'm talking about or that I'm interesting or compelling. And, and so I kind of get in my head all about it and then it would get so overwhelming to me that I actually make, made me worse socially because I'm so in my head thinking about it. And so I'm pretty sure that I, I um, walked through that. But do you know what's got me through that growing up? Socializing, socializing in, sorry, um, socializing, yeah, interacting socially. That's what got me through. My fear, which was socially interacting, actually, when I faced it, when I kept facing it, when I didn't run away, when I didn't feel so overwhelmed in those situations that I went and hid, or and probably because I was younger too, I didn't have a car to drive away, so I was stuck there. <laughs> but every time that I did it, and every time that I made a deeper connection with someone, every time that I had a conversation with someone, I found out what they liked and, and what were they doing, and just asking questions and getting to know people, it made it a bit easier, and a bit easier, and a bit easier. If we're always trying to run away from our fear of anxiety, especially when it comes to socially connecting, it's going to come to that place where we're all so disconnected, so lonely, so depressed, because it's not the way God made us. It's not what he, how he formed us. We were made for connection. Connection is so important. You know, I remember when um, I dropped off Zara for kindy the first week, when she had her first week of kindy, and, you know, she was so excited for kindy, and she got there, and the first week she seemed to have a great time. But I think she thought in her mind that she just had to go for a week or for every now and then. And so when the second week came and I took her back to kindy, she she was like, oh, mum, do I have to go again? And I remember little three-year-old Zara standing at the gate when I dropped her off, screaming at the top of her lungs, mum, come back. And so I had to leave her there. I walked to my car and I just broke into tears in my car. I couldn't break down in front of her. I'm just like, my little mama's heart just wanted to go and to pick her up and say, it's okay, you can come home with me. You don't have to face that. Those people, you don't have to face, you know, being socially interacting with others. Just come home with mommy where it's safe and warm and we can play together. Everything in my being wanted to do that. But if I had have done that, I would have stunted her. I would have kept her from growing. And you know what? It only took like a week or two for her to grow out of that. And then she loved kindy. She loved making friends. She was the teacher's pet. And so <laughs> if I had taken her out of that situation of fear and anxiety in that moment, I would have actually robbed from her such a rich experience in kindy and making friends and, and learning what it's like sometimes to walk through little disagreements with each other. So it's the same with us. If we take ourselves out of the situation, because we're adults, we can choose where we want to be, what we want to do. If we decide to remove ourselves, it may be safer in that moment. It may feel more comfortable in that moment. But long term, you're missing out on the richness of being in community with people. The richness of when you're going through the lowest of lows in your life, someone reaching out and saying, I'm going to come over. I just want to sit with you. Let me just pray with you. Let me love on you. The richness of that. Don't let social anxiety keep you from connecting or anything from connecting. You know, talking about 
um, the Apostle Paul in Philippians. He was contemplating in Philippians chapter 1, verse 25 to 26, whether or not it would be better to die and go to heaven with the Lord and spend eternity with God or to stay on earth. I don't know if he was given the option whether God said, come on up, Paul, and, you know, we're just partying eternity or whether he was just thinking, what would it be like? And, you know, maybe I should just leave this earth and go and be with Christ. But he said in Philippians chapter 1, verse 25, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ will overflow on account of me. Not even on account of Christ. The joy in him overflows with the brothers and sisters in Christ. And so here, this is, what it, this is the point. As I connect with you, as you connect with me, our joy overflows. We need each other. We need each other. You know, something we had a, a church retreat just recently where um, the team leaders were kind of gathered together and we did some brainstorming about um, goals for, for next year and um, <laughs> one of those nights. The high, one of the highlights for me of that time together was we had a, a board game night on the first night we were there. And we were playing, I don't know if you ever played the game Articulate. Oh my gosh, it's hilarious. It's kind of like charades but the other way around. So you can talk all about the thing you're trying to explain to the other person, but you're not allowed to act out. You're not allowed to say the word. And so let's say it's um, an ice block. You'd say you have one of these on a really hot day and it tastes good. Um, so you kind of got to explain it. And so <laughs> we were playing in um, Pastor Brad and, and Solomon come to join our game. <laughs> and Pastor Brad's explanation was missing in translation in Solomon's ears. <laughs> and you know what Brad's like? He's like really over the top and explaining and he's very articulate. And so he's giving all of these examples of what he's desperately trying to explain to Solomon. And Solomon's like, nah, pass, pass. Or <laughs> they're trying to explain the beach. And Brad's like, yeah, that big, that big yellow sandy thing you go to with the water. And someone said, seabed? <laughs> you sunbathe on it, seabed? <laughs> so <laughs> I have not laughed like that for a very long time. It's that kind of laughter where you're laughing and nothing comes down and tears just rolling down your eyes. It was the best time, the best thing ever to watch. I think in the whole game they moved to uh, like two or three spaces. <laughs> but that's what it's like when we get together, when we connect with one another. It's like my joy overflows to your joy, and your joy overflows to my joy. And that's the way God created it to be our church family, our community. So, two is connect with your church family. Number three is release your problems to the Lord. It's a way that you can cultivate joy. You know, one of the most incredible characteristics of joy that we have in God is that it can't be experienced, sorry, that it can be experienced in the midst of sorrow and loss. If we go back to, to Acts chapter 16, we look at Paul and Silas. It's true, it's like they've lost everything. They've been actually, they've been flogged, they've been put into the inner um, chambers where their feet are chained. They can't get out, and it says in Acts chapter 16, verses 25, that Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And that word for prayer there is not the word used for making requests, but rather the word used for praise or worship. And so they weren't sitting there in that cell saying, Lord, get us out of here. 
hurry up, you know, we, we just need an, an inch thrown of warfare for God to get them out of that place. But they were actually praising. It was pure praise, the prayer that they were lifting up. They were worshipping God. That's what true joy is. In the midst of pain, in the midst of sorrow, that you can raise up um, just a sound of worship and of praise. And something that's, sometimes that's all that we can do. We can't utter the words, but we can just lift up a spirit of praise to God and of worship to God. It's an opportunity for rejoicing. Isn't it true sometimes that we don't have peace or joy when we're not in control, when we don't have control? It's hard sometimes to have a sense of true peace and joy when you're not in full control. And the only way to have an attitude like Paul and Silas did is to release our problems, but not just our problems, the control of our problems to God. Because if we release our problems but we're still holding on to control, we're going to keep going back to God and we're going to keep thinking on and dwelling on that problem. But when we release the control of those problems to the Lord, then we receive the joy, then we receive the peace. Knowing that He's in control, you can have joy no matter what happens when you know God's in control, when you trust in Him. Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians 7, 4, In all our troubles, my joy has no bounds. James 1, 2 challenges us to consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. Philippians 4, verses 6 to 7, Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, request, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We know this verse. When you give, let me ask you this. When you give a task to a co-worker or an employee, or maybe you're at uni and you're doing a group assignment, you give a task to someone else who's doing a group assignment with you, and you don't actually think they're going to come through on it, <laughs> and you keep going back to them saying, how are you going with that? Just reminding you, this is the deadline. What does it actually say? I don't trust you. <laughs> That's right. But you know we do that with God sometimes? We present our problems, our troubles, our requests to Him. But we don't try to trust that He's going to do it the way that we want Him to do it. And so we go, God, did you hear me about that? I'm just checking that you heard me about that. And so we come back again and again and again because we don't trust. Now, there's, that's different to... Um, consistent, faithful prayer because God says consistent, faithful prayer works. But if you're coming and you're coming in prayer with doubt in your heart, that's ineffectual. And so if you're coming to God and saying, Lord, take care of this to me. I just, there's this trouble I'm going through. But in your heart, you're doubting that he can do anything about it. That's ineffectual. You've got to come with faith, with trust in your God, knowing that even if it doesn't work out the way that you thought it should, He's still in control, and he knows the beginning from the end. And so we can, we can protect our joy when we release our problems to God whilst trusting him with it. The fourth thing is to remain close to Jesus. This is my last point, probably my most important. Remain close to Jesus. That's how you cultivate joy. To discover joy, we must abandon a search for it and go searching for the joy himself. The one who is himself joy. In 1 Chronicles 16, verse 27, it says, Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his dwelling place. Strength and joy are where? In his dwelling place. With him. 
Psalm 16, verse 11. You make known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy. Where? In your presence. Yeah. With eternal pleasures at your right hand. Psalm 86, 4. Bring joy to your servant, Lord, for I put my trust in you. Psalm 94, 19. When anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought me joy. If we want that kind of joy that is complete, lacking nothing, then we must remain close to our Father. Apart from Him, we can bear no fruit. You know, the scripture, Brad preached about it um, a couple of weeks ago, about being grafted into the vine. And when you're grafted into the vine, then you produce fruit after the vine itself. Remain in me, this is John 15, 4, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit of itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And so the fruit of the Spirit, if you want to bear the fruits of the Spirit, you've got to remain in Him. You've got to remain in the vine. You've got to be grafted in. You've got to dwell in His presence. You've got to stay in that place of communion with your Father. That's where the fruit is born from. John 10.10, I came that they may have life and have it more abundantly. And as we finish up this verse, the, the word life in this verse, the Greek in Greek is actually three words for life. So the first word is bios. The second is psyche and the third is zoe. And so in this scripture here where it says the word life, there's actually three different things that could be pertaining to. And so the first, which is bios, is the duration of life. It's that dash on your tombstone determining how many days you lived. The duration of life. That is not the word used in John 10.10. 10. Then there's psyche, and it consists of mind and intellect, the knowledge you accumulate through your life. While you're on your life's journey, the word psyche, where it's talking about the mind and intellect, that's not the word used in John 10.10. 10. And then the third and the last is Zoe. The third type of life is Zoe life. It comes from one place and one place alone. It's a gift from God. Zoe life is life in Christ and it's made rich in the presence of God and by cultivating an intimate relationship with the Word and with the Lord. Zoe is joy, righteousness, peace, purity, hope, wisdom, strength, so many more things. And it's yours simply because you've accepted Christ. Zoe is life. Zoe life is a gift God gives to us. And Jesus came so that you could have life and life more abundantly. That's the kind of life that we're talking about here in John 10.10. It's the life that's abundant. It's the life in Christ. It's the life that's filled with joy and filled with righteousness and wisdom. It's the life that is abundant. It's not just the days you lived. It's not just the knowledge that you accumulated. It's life. It's life in Christ. If you haven't experienced that, come see me afterwards. I can lead you in a prayer where you can experience that life in Christ because there's no other way to live. There is no other way to live than in a Zoe life. Now, when I was growing up, um, my grandparents used to have, I think it was like a, a fad in that time, they used to have the fake fruit as like in their homes to decorate their homes. <laughs> and it was cool back then, but I think back on it now, I'm just like, Fake fruit? How do you have fake fruit in your house? <laughs> you know, the green grapes, the little plastic grapes. <laughs> but it's not a substitute for the real thing. You can't just go and grab one of those apples and bite into it, yeah? 
it's fake, it's yeah, plastic. And so let me ask you a question. Are you trying to pass off fake fruit in your life? You're trying to make out like you've got great joy or peace or patience. Are you really kind in front of people where when the real people know you, you bite their heads off when they do something wrong? <laughs> are you trying to pass off fake fruit as real? Or are you cultivating in your walk with God, in your relationship with God, true, lasting, rich fruit of the Spirit? The only way to have real joy is to nurture your relationship with Jesus. And keep in step with the Spirit on a daily basis. It's a daily walk. Because one day we can be great and the next day we can be in the pits. It's a daily walk. Cultivating fruit with Christ. It's about being close to Him. Remaining close to Jesus. Releasing your problems to Him. Not holding on to them. Connecting with your church family. And knowing God is joyful and delights over you. Loves you so much. Can we pray this morning? Thank you, Father. Well, we just repent, God, where we've tried to pass off fake fruit in our lives. We've tried to fake it till we make it. When really, in certain areas of our life, whether they've been bankrupt, maybe our joy has been bankrupt, our peace has been bankrupt. God, we want real, we want the real thing. We want to cultivate real fruit. Lord, we want to love like you love. We want to have the joy that you had when you set us before yourself, when you endured the cross. That kind of joy that endures, that loves. Father, help us. Help us to release our problems to you with trust with abandon, knowing that you're so faithful and you never leave us. You won't forsake us, but you do the very best for us. Help us to be unafraid to commit socially with one another. Help us to make deep and meaningful relationships in this house, ones that last the test of time. Deep relationships. Father, help us to know you is joyful. Lord, if, if somehow throughout life we've got this picture of you in our head where you're always waiting for us to fall or to mess up so that you can reprimand us or tell us what we're doing wrong or judge us, Father, change that within us. Let us know who you truly are, that you love with abandoned love. Lord, that you desire us, you desire a relationship with us. You sent your son Jesus to endure a painful death so that we could be close to you, that we could be near to you. Help us to think on that so that we don't grow weary and lose our strength. Lord, I just pray right now in your presence that you are just illuminating our hearts. Lord, any killers to our joy that we need to work on this morning. Help us to see, Father, where we're hiding. Maybe we're hiding our sin from you. We feel a sense of guilt because we haven't felt like we've measured up to where we should. We've fallen down just like David did, but we've hidden it from you. Father, help us to release that this morning, knowing that you're a loving Father, 
and that you desire more than anything to be in relationship with us. We release it to you this morning, Lord, any unconfessed sin, and we receive your grace. We receive your forgiveness. Lord, if we have unresolved conflict with people in our world, Lord, in this moment right now, we release that to you. We forgive them in our heart, truly, not just on the surface, because, Lord, you said if we don't forgive, then you can't forgive us. So, Father, we let it go. Help us, Lord, to love unhindered. And, Lord, if there's any unsatisfied expectations in our world, but we're discontent in any area of our life, help us to see the beauty of now, the beauty of where you have us. Open our eyes, Lord. Father, you would give us vision, but you would also give us vision to see what we have in our hands right now. Like you did, Father, with just about everyone in the Bible that you used, you said, what do you have in your hand? What is it that you have? Lord, that we'd stop looking around at what we don't have and what other people have, that we'd look in our hands and see what is it that you've given us. And as we're fruitful with that, as we're faithful with that, Lord, that your word says you'll increase. We love you, Lord. Help us in our walk with you. Draw us close. Amen.